to me, bringing people together and letting them know that, you know, they're around each other and that they can work and maybe open some doors for each other and, you know, and just collaborate and who knows what it comes because Canada and media landscape really needs that now more than ever. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm feeling really, really good today. I hope that you are too. Um, I have some some reasons for feeling good. First of all, I'm back in the in the palatial uh, studios here in Calgary. Um, I call it the Leon Fontaine studio because uh, the late, great Leon Fontaine recorded the original Return to Reason show. In fact, it was his brainchild. If you do know who Leon Fontaine was, then you're very lucky because you're familiar with all of the wonderful, inspiring uh, things that he did. If you haven't been introduced to Leon Fontaine yet, then you're even luckier because you get to discover the whole repertoire. And I'd encourage you to check out what's available on Miracle Channel and also on the subscription channel, Corco. Just incredible material. Um, my favorite is Spirit Contemporary, but and I'm also partial to Return to Reason for reasons obvious. Another reason why I'm feeling great is I have my new English waistcoat on. This is what we wear in the Court of King's Bench. This is in honor of our new king, who is uh, somewhat controversial. I might ask our, our guest about that. And thirdly, most importantly, we have a really, really great guest. I'm excited to be on, to have him on the program. Uh, I had the, 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 the wonderful experience of about six weeks ago uh, being on his show, which has been around for a while. He's really kind of a pioneer in, in the Canadian podcasting space, but he's really caught fire and, and his show is, is, is incredibly popular. But uh, it was an unusual experience being on his show because um, his style, what, what, uh, what our guest Sean Newman does is he goes down a lot of rabbit holes and it's a, it was a bit of a roller coaster ride. I didn't really know where we were going. <laughs> there was a little bit of wee, you know, up and down. Uh, but, you know, when I went back and I, I listened to it and I watched it, I realized that I was in the hands of an absolute pro and I'm very, very excited to have him on the program today. Thanks for being with us today, Sean. Oh, well, uh, thanks for having me on. And that's one heck of an introduction, if, if nothing else. <laughs> okay. So we do things a little bit differently on this show. We sure. we, we, we talk and, and you're going to do most of the talking, but here um, I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction to people who don't know who you are. And I know many people will. Uh, and and this this bio is going to sound hauntingly familiar because I plucked it from your uh, from your website. It says, I'm Sean. Uh, it says, I've been happily married to the greatest woman on earth since I locked her down in 2014. We have three wonderful children that are all under four years old. I don't know how you do it. You must not get any sleep. Uh, and, and they keep your life very busy and entertaining. He says, I always try to do my best to be an active participant in our communities, both in Lloydminster, where my home is now, and in Hillman, which I believe is the... Home of, home of uh, Ottawa, Way Redden. Yes, I've that's been right. there. Yes, uh, I've been to Hillman Arena. So uh, that's where Sean grew up. Every year he volunteers his time helping out where he can, whether it be at the arena or otherwise. It gets me out there in the community, seeing old familiar faces, meeting new ones, and some of these faces end up being guests on the podcast. And he's a former hockey player, which is, of course, near and dear to my heart. 
played in the NCAA and over in Europe. Uh, and he's also has a Bachelor of Arts in History, which is something that uh, we have in common. My, history was my minor. I was, uh, I did an honors degree in English literature, if you can believe it. I did a thesis in Shakespeare, Sean, once upon a time. Uh, anyway, this is, I've got to share this. This is really interesting. Sean once biked across Canada in under 70 days with his brother Dustin and his other friend Lori because we just like the idea of seeing the country we call home. <laughs> and this is a great metaphor for his show. He says, I learned from that experience that you just have to get on your bike every day and go. There's no length of time. Just go off until you can't anymore. And if I apply that lesson in my life, I believe life is an adventure. Everyone has a unique story to tell. And uh, here we will try to uncover some of these stories, and he sure does. Uh, uh, and we're going to talk about his podcast. Now, before we, uh, we, we go and I start hitting him with some, some hard-hitting questions, not really, Sean, um, a feature we have on our show is our aphorisms, our framing aphorisms. And um, these are in your honor because uh, I went and I trolled your website and I <laughs> saw some of your favorite people. The first one is from uh, Victor Frankl. Uh, who wrote uh, an incredible book, Man's Search for Meaning. And um, he wrote this. He wrote it in German originally, but it's been translated. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our freedom and power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. The second one is from Dr. Jordan Peterson. He wrote, the purpose of life, as far as I can tell, is to find a mode of being that's so meaningful that the fact that life is suffering is no longer relevant. And finally, uh, David Goggins, uh, who said this, the only way that, you, that you're ever going to get to the other side of this journey is by suffering. You have to suffer in order to grow. Some people get it. Some people do not. Okay. Sean, welcome to the program. Uh, I want to start with, perhaps if you could tell us a little bit about uh, tell the people about your podcast and how long you've been doing it, why you started it. There's a little bit of a hint of that in your bio, but uh, let's let's get it straight from the from, from the fountain here. Sure, um, I'm a I'm a I'm I'm a pretty simple guy, Leighton, as you as you know from sitting on the show with me. Uh, my my grew up in um, just north in Helmond, home of Wade Redden, uh, on a family farm there. And when I was uh, you know 18, I took off and started playing hockey across this country and into the states and across to Europe. And I don't want to uh, blow too much smoke. I was a, a decent hockey player. I was far from the NHL, but I have I your stats. Stats are world. pretty good. And <laughs> when I see a five eight defenseman, you must be pretty tough too. <laughs> I, 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 my, my father joked, uh, and I always took it, you know, I was always proud of it. I had a hundred pound hips, uh, Leighton, and I threw a mean hip check. It's almost gone in today's world, but yeah. there was nothing better in the world, uh, having a big guy come down think he could dance me and then throw out the hips and watch him go flying. It's, it's a lost art. And I was, um, pretty talented at it, but, uh, yeah, I had to be very smart. Uh, I, you know, lots of big guys and being a small guy, uh, you had to, you had to have your head on your shoulders at all times. Um, but that isn't the podcast. The, the podcast starts in 2019. I, I got home after my hockey career in uh, 2012, and it took some time. I was working in the oil field, and like a lot of people in the oil field, paid great, benefits great, lots of great people. Just the work wasn't what I wanted to do. And I listened to my first podcast in 2018. Uh, some would say early. Some would say, wow, you were late to the game. Either way, it hit me at the perfect time. Uh, and when I heard it, I was like, I could do this, you know, like I could really do this. You sure and can. And so we, we started in February, 2019. 
the first guest was a really good friend, Ken Rutherford. Uh, my second guest ditched on me. I, I mean, ditched. I mean, his schedule conflicted. So I just pulled my dad on. I said, hey, I need a guest. And the third one was our sound guy at the time. He said, you can't just interview anyone. And I said, you certainly can. You're on next week. Let's hear your story. And, um, and you know, for your listeners, that's how it started. It was pretty rough. You know, I, I made every mistake in the book. Once upon a time, I forgot to turn the mic on when I was sitting across from somebody. So I recorded the whole episode. That must have been he... the one where you were interviewing your sound guy. Oh, man. <laughs> just unbelievable, Aiden. You know, and um, but by episode 100, Ron McLean, by episode 139, Don Cherry, oh, I had Paul Bissonette. I'm so envious Chicklets. that you got to talk to Don Cherry. Wow. I watched that yeah. episode. Terrific. Well, you just so cool. Um, and I was getting to live out a lot of things at the mean, at the same time, I'm working full time. I got three young kids, uh, a wife, as you've said, and, um, COVID hits and, you know, I drugged my feet for a long time, a very long time. I didn't want to talk about it. I just wanted, you know, I had my eyes set on, uh, honestly, uh, I'd pitched it to Glenn Healing and he'd said they were going to do it and they were already in the works of it. So it kind of fell flat and I was a little disappointed, but I really wanted to interview the NHL alumni. I wanted to go around and talk to all these old men with all these old stories and, and <laughs> capture them before they honestly pass on, you know, right. like I just think every day another one goes and you're like, we are losing interviewed them. Them. Yeah. yeah. Lost and Bobby Hall recently. And yeah, yeah. thousands of them, yeah. thousands of men. And, and certainly the Bobby Hulls and the Wayne Gretzky's and the Bobby Orr's and all these names have been interviewed forever. But yeah. there's, you know, there's guys like Dennis Plonich who came on the podcast, who's probably been interviewed. I more met him. I, credit. I met him. And he, his story's unreal. That is you know, a like, tough just a, uh, ombre. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so, uh, 2020, uh, 2021, I guess 2020, yeah. 2021, the summer of 2021. Finally, I, uh, I worked up the courage to start bringing on different doctors and, and that's where it really changed. I, I, for any listener who was listening from the beginning, it would have felt like a, a 180 because I wasn't talking about it. And then from there, you know, it started with a man named Andrew Liebenberg, who was a doctor from uh, close here, and he just talked about medical ethics. And then, it, you know, Roger Hodkinson on to Peter McCullough and Daniel Smith. And and the list just goes on and on and on and on and on yeah. and on. And that's really shaped where I'm at today, you know. Uh, and, and and for, you know, for the listener today, where I'm at is, you know, as Leighton alluded to, um, I walk in with a plan every day, just as Leighton has. But I really try and use... Um, my uh, judgment on what the guest is talking about to try and pull something out that I'm mm -hmm. interested in and, and see where it goes. And so Leighton was, uh, was, you were one of the, you know, you were part of the experiment as well. You know, you said some <laughs> things and I went, let's talk about that. And, and, um, and away it goes. And yeah. I, you know, you, sometimes you have a plan. Other times I just, you know, it, it's, it takes a life of its own. It goes where it wants to. Mm -hmm. And you've enjoyed it in, you know, really, really remarkable success You've, you've garnered a large following. You also did uh, a very interesting event a couple of months ago in Edmonton, I believe you organized, trying to bring some of the people in the podcasting world uh, together. I was invited to attend. I'm grateful for that. I, I Unfortunately, I couldn't make it. Uh, how did that go? What was that like, that event? Yeah, so it was my uh, fourth event. Um, so uh I had a guest on Mike Kuzmiskis once upon a time and he pointed out at that event, you know, it's kind of changed a little bit since we talked about it, but in the middle of the lockdowns, I was asking him why, why isn't the government putting together like a panel of different backgrounds, not just doctors, just like a lawyer, 
a, a doctor, a politician, and get them talking and film it. And so the audience can watch it and we can just get through, like, get the fear out of this. Um, you know, we're a bunch of, uh, you know, out in the West, you know, we're pretty resourceful. Like we got to figure out what the problem is and, and we tackle it and we move on. And lots of people make lots of money doing that, right? That's that's what the oil field is and has been. And uh, and so uh, the first one actually happened in March 2022, like right after the Freedom Convoy. I had Daniel Smith was a part of that. Uh, an MLA, Shane Getz, and a doctor, uh, Eric Payne, and then a lawyer, Andre oh, McMurray. Eric Payne, and so, he's brilliant. He's better than our show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have all the time in the world for Eric Payne. Like he is, uh, be a great chief medical officer of health for Alberta, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I got a few ideas on who the politicians <laughs> could probably hire and have a good uh, moral compass on what what should be done and shouldn't be done. Um, so fast forward. So uh, we did one on the urban rural divide in in January, and then the one in Edmonton you're talking about was Legacy Media, and it was just bringing in a bunch of different backgrounds from media. So um, uh, Byron Christopher, who's a, a beat reporter, uh, you know, followed the, the crime beat, if you would, in Edmonton. And he just, you know, he's an older man in his seventies and he just laid down some stories that were just like, you know, it's hard to listen to I, almost. I remember, it, I remember him. I grew up in Edmonton. I remember him well. Yeah. A brilliant man. Yeah. And Chris Sims from the Alberta, Alberta Taxpayer Federation. She has a way with numbers and facts. You can just lay it out for you. And Kid Carson was, it was uh, of course out of Vancouver He's the the guy that uh, uh, got removed from you know the 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 morning show of right. one of the major yeah. Vancouver radio stations. Yeah, and uh, and then um, Wayne Peters, who was the guy that I followed right at the start of COVID when he started interviewing the Julie Panessi and the Stephen Pellick and uh, Byron Bridal and all these names across Canada that have become really uh, something you know for mm-hmm. speaking out. And the idea was to just bring some people together. Uh, and then the night before is where you were invited to and a whole bunch of, cause I look at, I, I, I'm rattling off right now, anywhere between four or five podcasts a week. And I run into people like yourself all the time, Layton, And I'm like, you need to meet all these other people. Yeah. And so what we tried facilitating in Edmonton was this way to bring in a bunch of these independent voices that have, you know, shows on whether it's uh, a Facebook live, whether it's rumble, YouTube, a podcast, uh, whether they're just, you know, um, putting together live shows in their communities just so they could meet. Cause I'm like, you, you all think you're islands again and you're all working so hard. You don't realize you're literally standing like an hour away from somebody who's doing something that's really awesome right beside you. And you could maybe work together. And so, uh, it was just trying to, uh, as Wayne would say, he, he thought it was more about legitimizing the independent media. And I was, I guess in my brain, when we were putting it together, I was thinking I need a way to get the independent media to realize there's more than just you sitting in, you know, in, in your spot and me and mine. And like, cause Canada, you know, we have the CBC and we have global and we have all these mainstream medias, but then we have all these like independent people just starting to pop up everywhere that are fantastic at what they do. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a grind to, um, you know, try and do it full time right. or to try and make yeah. ends meet while you go as hard as you can. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm big on family. I'm big on my, my, my wife and, and making sure that, uh, I, I treat that with the respect that it needs and my kids get me. And so it's a balance. And so I, to me, bringing people together and letting them know that, 
know, they're mm-hmm. around each other and that they can work and maybe open some doors for each other and, you know, and just collaborate and who knows yeah. when it comes. Cause Canada and media landscape really needs that now more than ever. Isn't that so true? Um, and uh, sort of by way of, of, of a launch, launch pad, I want to talk about Bill C-11 a little bit. You talked about independent media. The liberals, the, the, the Trudeau liberals have uh, renewed their pledge to legacy media, so they're going to get more and more money. In the meanwhile, uh, the federal liberals have passed this new legislation that seems to be really aimed at uh, trying to silence some of the voices that you're talking about. At the same time, in the United States, um, maybe one of the most popular, one of the most followed uh, podcasters, Matt Walsh, was deplatformed on YouTube because he wouldn't use the proper pronouns. He's now broadcasting his show on Twitter. And most recently, Tucker Carlson, who has the yeah. most popular channel uh, most popular show on cable TV. Now he's announced he's going to be broadcasting on Twitter. So do you see this as a trend that that maybe uh, there's a place for all of us to land, but maybe it's not going to be on on the platforms that we've been accustomed to using, the kind that the ones that you were describing? Or how do you see this unfolding? That's an interesting question. I was literally just talking about it this morning. Like at what point do you, you know, like... I have different people that I talk to that are nervous of Twitter because it's just one man. What happens if Elon decides whatever? What if yeah. Elon's a CIA mole? Well, what know, if he blah, boards blah, blah. one of his rockets? We never right. see him again. Yeah. But but it, but what we were talking about is like, so my channel was removed from YouTube. Uh, right as the Freedom Convoy was happening. And I've never went back on. And I've thought about it. I've wrestled with it because it's such a brilliant platform. It's like so yeah. user-friendly. Yeah. But the thing is, is, I know I'm going to get removed again. Like I, I'm not going to play by the rules. I'm not going to not say certain words so that it, you know, it can kind of stay up there. It's like, l- listen, there, there's, we, we mentioned Peterson at the start, you know, words are very powerful. Mm-hmm. You have to choose them carefully. You have to mean what you say. You have to think about it, all these different things. And if we're going to have a podcast where I start self-censoring because I don't want to get removed off YouTube because I'm worried about uh, views and clicks and everything, it isn't what this has been about since the beginning. Right. So you rewind this to the Twitter question and it's like, well, we can see what's happening in real time right now. Twitter is one of a couple places that you can go on and say what you want. And for the most part, you know, uh, not be removed for it. Mm -hmm. And to me, when it comes to where we live, freedom of speech is becoming so more like we, we need it. I don't care if you, if you disagree with me. Um, it'll be uncomfortable to hear that out, but we better do it sooner than later. I mean, we saw where we got to in the middle of the lockdowns and COVID, you said anything out of line and you were removed. And it's, it's part of the reason why the podcast had some of the success it has is because I just, I just stopped doing that. I just, no, we're going to talk about it. If you don't like it, yell at me all you want. (laughs) We need to talk about it. And you can remove me from YouTube. Okay. But I'm still going to keep doing it. And there's others doing the same thing. So with Twitter, I don't know, Layton, myself, I look at it and I go, at what point does it become the the flagship for freedom of speech where, you know, you mentioned Matt Walsh, you mentioned Tucker Carlson, um, you know, like we're doing a Tuesday mashup, a show uh, every Tuesday uh, on, on, on the podcast where we talk about different headlines in Canada and everything. And we got the Alberta election coverage coming up. We're going to do live right. coverage of it. Yeah. And we're going to do that on Twitter because it's like, 
where else can you go where, you know, that's what it's there. Like it's becoming more and more like I never, when did you ever think Twitter was going to become almost like a brag, a broadcast company for like shows? It's been trying to do that, but they silence everybody. So it never was that right now. It's becoming that. Yeah. I don't know. It's late. What are your thoughts, Leighton? You, you're a guy who's watching it as close as anyone. I I think that uh, I I think it's very exciting. First of all, um, to to have voices like Tucker Carlson because um, as great as he was on Fox, uh, now we're going to see Tucker Carlson unchained. And I don't I don't know if you saw the 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 speech that he gave uh, that sort of that some people think got him fired. Uh, where he basically said, you know what, folks, we're in a good and evil struggle here. This isn't about politics. This is, goes much deeper even than culture, right? We're, we're talking about an existential situation. We're, we're, we're in a battle for reality, for objective truth. And uh, apparently that cut too, too deep down to the bone for Mr. Rupert Murdoch. And, and so I'm very excited to see sort of, uh, you know, to see Tucker unchained because you know, he'll be able to talk about things. Of course, we'll, we'll get all of the wonderful content from Tucker Carlson. I mean, he's one of the only people uh, who can actually uh, make uh, political com- you know, commentary entertaining. Uh, I mean, just his own commentaries and things. He has, he's a very gifted person. That's so exciting. It's going to draw so many people to Twitter. But the thing that I would like to see that's missing from the discourse, and I saw a tweet that you posted recently, Sean, uh, where you said, I want an NDP supporter to come on the podcast and you'll sit across from us and discuss the upcoming election. You said, is there anyone willing? And boy, you put your finger on the spot. That is, those are the conversations that we need to have, right? We, we've got to, we have to get, uh, and hopefully this will happen on Twitter or some other platform. We, we, we can actually get together point counterpoint. We used to have those shows. We used to have those conversations. Yeah. Uh, we used to have them everywhere. And now people are afraid to have them. They're even afraid to have them down at the Tim Hortons because somebody might be listening. Well, I, and I don't know if you've been watching any of Billboard Chris's stuff. He's been walking yes. around. Uh, I saw in, you had him you on know, your show. I watched that episode. It was brilliant. Yeah. Oregon and Portland and, and different spots. And the last one just really struck me as like, huh, that's tough. And it was a girl saying she agreed with pretty much everything he's about but she's afraid to say anything. Like she, she almost breaks down in tears because the, the, the harassment just in having a conversation mm-hmm. on the street. And you're like, we are just at this precarious point in history where, you know, like, has this ever happened before? Oh, I'm sure it has. I'm sure it's just a different iteration of, of what's gone on with human beings over the course of time. But like, uh, we're at such a, a dangerous place where, I, I want to have, I would love nothing more. You know, I, I have 22, 222 minutes, uh, uh, twos is what I call them on the show all the time. I would love nothing more you, than to sit. And, and you have, have a collaboration a, now, right? The, with yes. Yeah. The Tuesday yeah. mashup. Yeah. yeah. We, we, yeah. we do it every Tuesday and I would love nothing more than to have him called on some of his BS by an <laughs> NDP. And I'd love nothing more than to have an NDP called on some of their BS by, by him who's, you know, he's really ingrained and he does a great job. I'm, I, I enjoy every time I sit down with him. But sometimes I'm like, be interesting to hear what an NDP, what their convictions of being an NDP supporter are. Because there's going to be somebody who's intelligible that that can really, you know, this is why I like this. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't love these three things. And to listen to a discussion like that, you know, I get so irritated with our government through COVID because instead of putting out the flame, 
They fueled it. And where we're at right now is we continue to fuel this divide. And I go back, honestly, um, to a guy named Jamie Sinclair. Uh, it was Jamie Sinclair and uh, Henry Sidlitz were on the podcast once again before the convoy ever went. And they were talking about hockey Saskatchewan and, you know, putting requirements in for kids to play hockey. And Jamie uh, Sinclair is an, a military vet. He served many tours overseas. And he was talking about Bosnia. And I said, oh, what happened there? He said, oh, I just started with a divide. It always starts with just a little divide. And then, of course, they went on to massacre populations, right? Mm-hmm. And it has unnerved me ever since I heard that. I'm like, well, we got a giant divide right now. Yes. I mean, just pick pick whatever subject you want. Yes. It's a giant divide. Right. And there's multiple of them. And nobody's talking to the other side because the algorithms and everything else. And we're just all, you know, spent this huge emotion. And I'm I'm not acting like I ain't a part of that. At times, I'm just as bad as anyone. Um but I'm trying, you know, you come back to the tweet, it's like, nobody answered it. But I'm not even sure that's on the NDP. That might be on the algorithm, you know? Yes. It's like, I just want to have some discourse. I think a lot of people want that. I think a lot of people would tune in for it, Layton, to just hear what the two sound. Oh, man, is this oh, going to yeah. be a bloodbath or is it going to be a comment? Like, what is this going to be, right? Yeah. And for too long, it's been it's been silenced. Nobody, you know, I think it's Steve Kirsch. He offered up a million dollars in the middle of COVID and no doctor would take that. It's like, right. you're going you're gonna to earn a million dollars just by going on and having a conversation. Or Joe Rogan's conversation with uh, uh, Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay right. Gupta. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, that was fantastic. Yes. That's two sides. Yeah. And it'd be awesome to have more of that. It's just, it's uncomfortable. And certain people do not want to, I don't know. I, I don't know. Is it, it, I don't even know what it is. Uh, whether they don't think they'll be treated fairly in the conversation if they go on the opposite side, or I'm I'm not sure. Uh, have you tried to get the oh, other yes. side to do that? Oh yes, I think one of the things that uh, uh, is is a is a hindrance for me is that I have a reputation as a litigation lawyer. So these people think they're going to come on, they're going to get grilled, and they might be. Uh, but I think the deeper problem is that um, you know the, the the ideas on the left are mostly bad, and they're hard to justify. Right, um, and uh, and so uh, that I think that is a main reason why the other side of the case uh, moves to censor, moves to censorship, because if your own ideas are bad, if they cannot survive scrutiny or debate, then the only way the only way to to win is by silencing the other side. I think our arguments, uh, our ideas are are better. Our ideas are in favor of human flourishing. And, I mean, how do you argue against freedom? Uh, how do you, it's, it's funny you know, though, uh, once upon a time, you know, like I jump on these grenades all the time. Listen, I, I, Sean is the guy who said, remove Trump from Twitter. I thought at one point I'm like, holy man, this is getting out of hand. Yeah. And I, now in fairness, I don't know, you know, if I went back and rewind the clock, was it the way media was portraying it or was it just Donald Trump, the things he was saying? Yeah. Hard to say, isn't it? It's hard to say, yeah. but I do know, I remember reading his tweets all the time, seeing some of his press conferences being like, this is wild. Like, <laughs> w- what is going on? And me and one of my brothers had had an argument about it. I'm like, you got to remove, you just got to remove. You know, at some yeah. point it becomes too much. Yeah. And he's got too much power and blah, blah, blah. And now I regret that, like to me, then we saw what happened to Twitter. As soon as we remove one, yeah. you start, I mean, it just it just comes for everybody. That's it. We, we, we watched it play out. It's like, oh, this is why you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like when, when you talk about, 
all these different things. It's like, yeah, but once upon a time, I was the the conservative arguing for censorship. I just didn't understand the, you know, until you start seeing, and then you're like, oh crap, how do we put this, you know? Uh, how, you know, you, uh, my visual is a snowball or a rock rolling down the side of a, a mountain. It's like, well, how do you stop that thing once the momentum's yeah. done? Well, the only way it happened was Elon Musk spending billions of dollars buying the company, firing 80% of it so that he could take over and be like, this is how we're going to run this thing. Yeah. Like, th like that's a pretty wild, you know, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. You know, but the censorship thing is not new. Uh for example, John Milton, who's known for writing Paradise Lost, um, in 1644, he went before the British Parliament with an essay that he wrote called Area Pagitica in defense of free speech. And because, because people were being censored at that time, in the essence of that, of that essay, I mean, there's a lot there and people should read it, even though Milton sometimes is hard to read. Um, it's beautiful, but it's hard to read, sort of like you know, listening to classical music and trying to figure it out. But the essence of what he said is this, we can really never have any kind of meaningful conversation unless built in, implicit in that conversation is the risk that somebody's going to be offended. And, and, and the key is, and this is where we break down in, in our modern times, is how do, you, how do you manage that conversation when you get to the point where you're at odds, where you don't agree, right? fundamentally. And I think it's very important not just to have those conversations, but it's important for people to watch those conversations properly done so that they learn how to have a conversation like that. We used to do that. I mean, I, I spent a lifetime doing this in court. Uh, it's nothing personal, but I mean, every lawyer goes there to win. I sure did. But I mean, we didn't do it by telling, telling the judge, you know, censor, you know, censor that guy. He's saying something that isn't good for my case. You know, and now we have, I mean, Rachel Notley's out there and she's, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau, they're preventing certain reporters from even asking, uh, you know, tough questions. Uh, you know, we've really lost something in, 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 in the discourse, in, in this concept of, 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 of not only freedom of speech, but the broader ramifications of freedom of speech uh, that sort of ripple out through the entire uh, society are so it's not just media it's really everywhere in our society where people are being uh are being censored uh, how do we how do you have any ideas about how do we, how we get away from that well that's a i tell you what if we had the answer to that you know if we could just flip flip a switch and have that i think we'd be you know uh very wise wealthy men yeah um you know i think I one of the things i think one of the things we need to do is we have to keep doing what you're doing and that is well, trying I mean, to have yeah. the conversations, right? Certainly. Somebody come on my show. I want to talk to you. Disagree with me. Let's do it. Let's do it civilly. Let's learn from each other, you know? And uh, sometimes, the, the, yeah, yes. Um, to, to me, so much of what goes on in society is, uh, is public opinion. Right. And I don't know if I fully understood that until I started, you know, discussing lots and lots of different things and realizing, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, part of the minority of a population coming from a rural background, you know, like it's no shock to today's world, you know, especially in, in the Western world, how, how much of the population lives in cities and different things like that and have, you know, is there a different problem in Edmonton compared to Hillmont, Saskatchewan? Certainly. Right. Uh, and you can break that down as, as far as you want to go. Uh, but I didn't realize how much power the public opinion has. And 
you know, when when I come back to the event we had in in March and trying to get all these independent people together, uh, together, you know, unbeknownst to all of us, we're starting to change public opinion. Uh, you're starting to change public opinion. And when that starts, to, you know, a, a politician is a popularity contest. And if they realize they can say something and get you know, a, grand, a great approval from a group of people, they'll do it. I mean, it's it's kind of shocking to watch politicians do it. I've always had this uh, naivety that, you know, like I'm waiting for a politician to just say what he truly believes. And right. I don't know if that ever existed. Jesus, I guess. Right. Like he went around <laughs> and he just said it like it was. And no, you're saying Jesus was a politician. That's that's interesting. I don't that's know a, if <laughs> that sounds terrible. I, I think I'm, I'm more so, sort of like son of God, Messiah. <laughs> yep, you know, he went around talking to the people, though. He and what sure did. What sure is a politician did. supposed to go do? He's supposed to go no. listen and then and then talk. And I'm not saying that you know. I have certainly not. I didn't realize I was putting Jesus in the that's same a, book as a politician. That's a funny uh, uh, picking that up. Um, I'd vote for him. <laughs> I think a lot of people would vote for him. So, you know, like, take Daniel Smith, for example. Yeah. She gets elected. Uh, a huge portion of Albertans, you know, no, I shouldn't even say, I should backtrack that. It isn't a huge portion, but a, a lot of people buy conservative memberships. Right. Vote her in. Everybody goes, oh, she, you know, the, the critics go, she barely won. It's like, yeah, but she won. She had more than anyone. Yeah. And she gets on stage and says, you know, like, basically... The unvaccinated are, you know, some of the most discriminated people I've ever seen. I'm, I'm in some words here a little bit. And then everybody loses their crap on her yeah. for telling the truth. What do you, it's not that, what do you, you know, think about, not, what do you think about that apology she just made? Did you like that? Where she made a comment about, you know, and actually when you go back and you, and you listen to what she said, I've seen some people who are Jewish who agree with her that what she was really talking about is this kind of mass psychosis, psychosis, right? That that the same sort of uh, uh, bad dream what that, she's that seduced fighting, the, the what, Germans ha happened during COVID. What she's fighting is sound clips. Right. So like the other side is not talking. Like when did you see Rachel Notley do an hour long interview or do fifty of them and and like actually talk about like I just she may if Rachel Notley gets on the stage and talks for ten minutes straight now, her ideas conflict with everything I believe in, like everything. Yeah. So it's it's difficult. So what they what I see from the NDP is they're on full attack mode. So the, one of the things I loved about Daniel Smith is she did this podcast multiple times. She did it as a premier. She, she's done so many podcasts. She went around Alberta. She, she's been on, you know, Jordan Peterson. She's, she just, she's never been afraid to talk. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things I've really enjoyed about her because you could understand what she's thinking. Did yeah. she get it all right? No. Did she apologize about it? Yes. Do all the politicians attack her for uh, saying too much? All the time. And it's like, well, you should be learning from her and understanding you can get things wrong and you can apologize for it. But she's trying to explore different options in a world that just wants a politician to like, I don't even know at this point. And so her apology I think annoys a lot of us. It annoys me. Stop apologizing. That's right. this entire world. You can apologize. Like she hasn't done anything wrong. No. Go back and listen to the interview. Right. Go back and listen to, and go back and put yourself in the time frame we're in where the entire world is going insane lately. Yeah. And then they're going to, NDP is going to come out and say the things they do. Well, and then, and then what do they, you know, it's like, well, go back and listen to Rachel Notley saying she's going to go door by door and we're going to spend three times the budget on COVID and we're going to do all these things oh. to make sure you, it's like, 
Like, come on, who's more insane at this point? Uh, did you see what the liberals have planned, Sean? They've got it in their in their platform. <laughs> they want yeah mandatory vaccination. But you, one th- about the election, since you brought it up, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> you know, there's a misconception in our province that Alberta has always been a really conservative province. That's not really true, actually. If you look at the last election, uh, in which the you know uh, Mr. Kenny won seventy two percent of the seats, he only had fifty four percent of the vote. And I think what is skewing things, what 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 people are forgetting, even if you go back to the Ralph Klein days, back in those days we actually had an operating Liberal Party, and we had the NDP, and so the Conservative Party by comparison looked much more dominant, but actually they were only ever getting about between 50 and 55% of the popular vote. It's just that now we have this sort of orange blob where everybody who was part of the Liberal Party has now gone orange. And so it looks like well, we've got this two-party system like the Republicans and the and the Democrats in the US. But in fact, you know, Alberta has always had a really strong sort of liberal socialist bent to our province, which I think is actually good for good for the province politically because it, it, it does, I mean, if we weren't sort of tearing down, uh, uh, you know, election signs and, and starting fires everywhere, you know, that would be a good thing if we could disagree on politics and we could do it peacefully. But that, that's, that's a common misconception. I, think, I don't think a lot of people realize that, that really we've never, be, if everybody thinks of Alberta as sort of this redneck province, it's ultra conservative, but actually, you know, the popular vote is, is, has always been pretty split. You know, it's funny you bring that up because uh, earlier on we were talking about, uh, um, you know, uh, not allowing certain journalists to ask questions and things like that. And immediately the guy I thought about was William Aberhart. And I don't know if that name oh, yeah. rings a bell for you. Oh, yeah. Right? Bi- Bible, Bible Bill. Bill. Yeah. Right. Uh, for his radio, they nicknamed him that for his radio servant sermons uh, of the Bible on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, radio sir. Anyways, yeah. uh, mixing words here. I had, uh, it, so... The reason I bring him up, you're, is he you're a historian. Up. That's why you're bringing him up. You're you're you're, you're, flex, you're flexing for us, Sean. <laughs> no, no, no I, you know it's funny. Uh, one of the things a podcast does is it it tickles my history fascination more than any book ever has because I get to talk to people and yeah. you know hear their stories and certainly late. You know, you're the guy who reads all the books. You know, it's one of the <laughs> things I admire about you how you can. Uh, can get through that much uh, content. But anyways, going back to William Aberhart, he was a premier here in Alberta. Uh, he led the Alberta Social Credit Party. Right. And they, I had asked this question a ton. Uh, I'm kind of bouncing here. You know, welcome to Sean on a podcast. But <laughs> I'd asked a question of a lot of people when the when the while uh, uh, the Maverick Party started up, and of course now in Saskatchewan you have the Sask United. Um, yeah, you, you know, in in. What is it now? Is it the Wild Rose Independence Party? Yes. Is that, yes. Uh, so you have these new parties, although the Wild Rose has, you know, obviously they'd been around there. They were official opposition at once. I'd asked a bunch of political nerds. I'm like, when was, like, do you know of a political party? And Leighton, do you know of a political party when it started up? It's first ever election they won. Uh, the Social Credit in Alberta. The Social Credit in Alberta. Yeah. Led by William Aberhart. Right. And do you know some of the things he did? He tried jailing journalists and he tried doing a bunch yeah. of wild things yeah. that I, when I read it, I was like, oh my yeah. goodness. Abe Lincoln, like, Abe Lincoln did it. So it's, it, it, this is, like, to me, it, it gives me a bit of comfort knowing this isn't the first time in history this has ever happened. 
but it is concerning. Oh yeah. Um, and, and certainly with with the NDP and Alberta's background and everything. Well, I mean, one point in time, Alberta Social Credit Party was uh was in like they went on like I, I forget what it is like here I'll, I can bring it up here nice and quick to see how many years they were in power but it's it's a long time it yeah. wasn't like they just won and then were out yeah. it was I think it went from 1935 to uh they went in 1935 and they are a majority until 1967 and then until 1979 they're the official opposition yeah. right so like yeah. and then the the I believe it was progressive conservatives were in from 1971 all the way through until 2015 they had a dynasty they had a dynasty yeah, yeah. you know it's yeah the background of alberta is is not so cut and dry and the no. other thing i would point out you know is we're seeing this in the united states and we're certainly seeing in canada when you talk about the orange glob yeah it's well this is why we did the rural urban divide uh um live show or live event of the smp presents because it's easy to see like obviously you're People, when they vote, are concerned for what affects them. So, you know, one of the concerns me and Tuz always shine a light on is how big the public sector is growing. Yeah, Because you're going to vote for somebody who has the public Number sector in Number one employer in, in the country now. Right. Yeah. And you go, well, long term, listen, we can sit here and act like this isn't a problem. We can sit here and act like we can win the next election. But it's like you're voting for what impacts you. If you're going to lose yeah. your job for voting for the conservatives, are you going to do it? Yeah. Like you can be a conservative there and be like, oh, I would. Yeah. It's like I don't know. Would you? Like that's going to affect got, your family. We've got gonna, one you know? one quarter of the country working for the government right now. I don't think that's a good thing. No, it isn't. Much higher it, than it, in the United States. Much higher. It, it's it's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know we got this divide. Cities in Edmonton and Calgary. What are they going to vote for? Yeah. You got unions. You got you got government there. You got all these things. I I come from rural Alberta, Saskatchewan, border city. We don't have that much government here. Yeah. All we got is a bunch of private sector guys that are smart, you know, looking at problems, making things, and that's what they do. You and got, so I've, you've got I, community. To me, I don't under, you got community yeah. there, right? You have to. Yeah. We're in the middle yeah. of nowhere. I've had I've had so many politicians. I don't know if you want to come to Lloyd Minster. You guys are so far out there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like we're <laughs> nah. It's laughable. So, I mean, you you have to know some of it, you know, Cold Lake, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cold Lake's not as big as Lloydminster, but, uh, you know, the, the definitely. I mean, we had, just just to give you one example, I think Cold Lake had about uh, uh, about a 33% vaccination rate when that was a thing. Uh, I think we were the one of the lowest in the province. Man, Drayton it, it, Valley you know, and uh, Grand Prairie might have been lower than us, but we were pretty low. People, people back then didn't like you talking about that. I don't know. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool that, uh, uh, obviously there was things done in that, in that area that, you know, really fostered conversation and, and community and looking out for one another and having some hard conversations because yeah. that was a hard time. Yeah. So speaking of events, I want to ask you about a big one that's coming up on June the 10th, uh, SNP presents Luongo and Craner. What's this all about? And uh, I see people can buy tickets by visiting your website. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I don't, you know, some, some days, Layton, this, this is a deeper discussion maybe for a different day, <laughs> but uh, things just happen and doors open up and, and, you know, you either step through or you don't, right? And uh, I'll let you either decide to go down that road sometime uh, or we can leave it for a conversation on my side. Cause I love teasing out that, that, that discussion. 
But I got, I, 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 on all my podcasts, I have my phone number in there. So people can reach out and say, hey, you should interview this person. And I listen to my audience. They're like my recruiting agent, if you would, except there's thousands of them. And they, do sometimes you, it works great. Do you ever sometimes get some great bombs. guests? I mean, yes. Alex Epstein is one you had uh, yeah. on your, on your show. I'd, boy, I'd love to talk with him. And it was a great interview, by the way. His books are on our reading list. And uh, I just, th- he's the type of climate expert. We need to be listening to, right? Hundred percent makes sense, you know. Really, really smart, uh, um, really smart man who's uh, very articulate and knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. Tom Luongo is the part of Luongo Craner, so the S and P presents, yeah. and Tom Luongo gets suggested by actually it was my brother at the time, but he was just following him on Twitter. He said, "I think you should interview this guy." Said, all right. So I just started following him on Twitter, followed him for a day, and went, yeah, this sent looks interesting. So I interviewed Tom. Tom goes, you should interview Alex if you if you want to know more about this. And what he's talking about is geopolitics. So we were talking about war in Russia, Ukraine. We're talking about banking. We're talking about things that are pretty like um, macro. You're looking at right. a worldview, right. but are still impacting Canadians. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I interviewed Alex uh, Craner, and he's uh, originally from Croatia. He's got military background. He's been a CEO of a company. He's he just he's got all these different things. They follow a lot of different things. He's got a lot of good insight on Russia and the Soviet Union. And then Tom Luongo is a guy from Florida. He he's been uh, uh, following a lot of different things in the United States, of course, worldwide, and everything else. So I started interviewing these two, and now they've been on the podcast five times. Every time I have them on. Um, it's my most downloaded episode of the month of the year. And it's just like, okay, at what point do you bring these guys to Canada? You Wait know, a one minute. of them's living. You're, you're following polling. You're becoming a politician. <laughs> sure. Uh, to me, it, it, it's the most, one, some of the most captivating stuff I do. Yeah. It, it's just, it's just like the people like this. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. Let's put them in front of a crowd. They've, I don't know if they've ever met. One's from uh, living in Morocco. The other one's living in Florida. They're both flying up. Really? They're going to be live in, uh, in Lloydminster on June 10th. Fantastic. One night. Um, I think it is, uh, the word I've been using is electric because the, I always paint the picture of, I wonder what it was, it was like to have been in the room when, pick your band, Queen, Tragically Hip, uh, I don't know, Leighton, what's your favorite band? The Beatles. My favorite band, uh, well, Queen is up there. I love the police. Okay, the police, sure. Police. Yeah. Can you imagine just sitting in there while they're like, well, you know, I kind of got this idea. Yeah. What if you added in a little, and all of a sudden they just start playing? Yeah. And they're just playing, they're just riffing off each other, just seeing what works. And Tom and Alex, I've tried getting this to to brew naturally out of different guests. And sometimes it works, and other times it it just doesn't work. Right. These two guys get on the first episode. They talk for like two, two and a half hours, and I am the Terminator. I say nothing. I just sit back and watch, and people loved it. So then you bring them back on, and they're bringing, they're dumbing it down because they're talking at such a high level <laughs> about banking, about different things going on within uh, WEF and you know Klaus Schwab and mm-hmm. Bill Gates and and just like a lot of things that I'm extremely interested in. And these two guys have their finger on the pulse. They're just watching it extremely close. They have, live in two different parts of the world from us, so they can really give you their perspective, what they're seeing, what their insights are seeing. They're very um, smart guys. They both write for Zero Hedge. Uh, one writes for Newsmax Media. Uh, they do podcasting. They do, and they're just very smart. They're yeah. just very articulate. 
And, uh, and so, you know, we've been joking about it now for three that oh, I should just bring you up, she bring you up. So finally we just pulled the trigger. So June 10th in Lloyd Minster, one night only, you're going to be able to see these two guys on stage and we're going to do, my theory is a little different from what I've been doing in that we're going to put two chairs up on stage after supper and we're going to let them talk. And then we're going to take a break and we're going to let them talk one more time because every right. time they start talking about things and allow the crowd to interact, we have a, a polling website that we use at all the events. Instead of a live mic going around and asking people to say their questions, they can write them out and then people can vote them up and down. And then it'll wow. come to me and I just feed it to them and they just go. Brilliant. And Great. Uh, honestly, it, I'm really excited about the night. Me too. Clayton, I'm I'm going to be there. You should come. I, it's should only come. it's only it's less than an hour and a half drive for me from Cold Lake. I'm going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Be there with it's going to be fun. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, shaking your hand. Now, yeah, well, me as well. And and sorry, go ahead. The SMP presents the reason why these two guys are coming now is I feel like it's get we're getting into these precarious times where with whether we're talking money and uh, CBDCs or whether we're talking war, whether we're talking like all these crazy things. And I think it's become this point in time where we need to have more discussion. We need to get our communities to start thinking right. about it. And these nights really spur on people talking to their community members because, you know, uh, Lord willing, 240 people will show up and and buy tickets. And, and afterwards, there's a social where you can sit and talk to your community members or whoever comes. And there's a lot of great discussion. Some people say that's the best part of the night. Well... I'm sure it's going to be an incredible event. I'm really looking forward to it. And we talked about a lot of different things. I won't surprise you to know that we finish off our show with something called the reading list. And okay. so uh, I have a couple of books uh, that I think you're going to like. One you've probably already read. Maybe you've read both of them. Then I'm going to ask you to share a selection or two. Uh, oh, I got you one think... for you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm reading a book right now. Okay. Lady, so let's okay. Hear it. Okay. So I'm I'm going to go first, and then I'm going to give you the last word because you're our very special guest. The first book is uh, a book I think I suspect you've already read. Uh, it's by David Goggins. It's called Can't Hurt Me. And uh, so the description is for David Goggins, childhood was a nightmare. Poverty, prejudice, and physical abuse colored his days and haunted his nights. But through self-discipline, mental toughness, and hard work, Goggins transformed himself from a depressed, overweight young man with no future into a U.S. Armed Forces icon and one of the world's top endurance athletes. The only man in history to complete elite training as a Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, and Air Force Tactical Air Controller. He went on to set records in numerous endurance events, inspiring Outside mag Magazine to name him the fittest real man in America. And can't hurt me, he shares his astonishing life story and reveals that most of us tap into only 40% of our capabilities. Goggins calls this the 40% rule, and his story illuminates a path and anyone can follow to push past pain, demolish fear, and reach their full potential. Now, since you're on the show, I have to have a hockey book. And actually, uh, this man is a friend of mine. He's one of the toughest guys in, uh, of the 1990s. His name's Brant Myers. He's an Albertan Ooh. from Cold Lake, and he wrote a great book called Painkiller, a memoir of big league addiction. Which only came out, what, a, yeah. a year or two ago? Yeah, and I interviewed him about it. Uh, this, uh, this book is, uh, is an incredible story, um, about a man who lived the, the, you know, the Canadian dream and it, it, it became a nightmare. And, uh, it's, it's actually a very difficult book to read because, uh, 
Brent is a guy who went through, through the Western Hockey League, rose to the big league ranks, befriended people like Bob Probert. Wonderful stories in there about his friendship with people like Bob Probert. But it's hard to read because um, what kept happening with, with Brent is he would, get, he would get himself to a point where he was really going to break through. His career was going to be great. And then he would self-destruct, you know, alcohol, drugs, all of it. But the painkiller is a story not only of uh, you know of survival but of redemption, and he comes full circle and uh, and and in the end, uh, you know, Brand has he's overcome his addiction through his, the the love the close relationship with his daughter, and uh, and really uh, he actually became uh, a, a specialist, a consultant, an addictions consultant for the Los Angeles Kings during their Stanley Cup run, and uh, he's just a tremendous guy. Uh, and uh, I think people will really love this book because it's really it's written as a monologue in the first person, very uh, and there's a lot of humor in it, a lot of pain. I warn people it's it's hard to read because he just keeps tripping himself up. But a great great book. So that one's called Painkiller uh, by Brant Myers. So turn it over to you. Well, first I I just have to say uh, um, David Goggins. The reason why that sits on my reading list on the website is it. If you go back and listen to his first podcast on Joe Rogan, or I uh, would push listeners if they're you know to to listen to his audiobook because the audiobook he has somebody else read it and then every after every chapter him and the guy discuss it, and it's just a phenomenal story of um, taking you know, lemons and, and really turn it into something else. Like, you know, I was going to say, you know, it always goes lemonade, but I'm not sure that's what he did. You know, he, he was this overweight guy working for Ecolab. Once upon a time, I sold chemical for Ecolab, right? So, um, and he's spraying for cockroaches. He's over, like he's obese. And he goes on to drop this incredible amount of weight, go through Navy SEALs training a bunch of times, do just complete insanity. And he's just basically like, you can do anything. Never tell yourself can't. It's the ultimate motivator to do whatever you're afraid to go do. So mm. I, I really uh, think that book suggestion yeah. is phenomenal. It's a, it's a great story of the power of a decision, right? Yeah. That it's, there's an expo- it's, it's like an atom bomb. If you, when you make a decision, it, it really has that incredible power to transform your life and the lives of many people. I mean, how many people has he impacted because of what he's done? Yeah. Probably millions, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And, uh, well, I just, once again, um, can't, that's been one of my favorites over the last probably five years that I've read. And I'm, I kind of give a big swath. I don't read as much as Sir Layton here. So <laughs> I, to me, uh, that's been a really impactful book. I don't have three kids my... under four years of age either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to update that because they're now three kids under seven. The oldest just turned yeah. seven. The girl turned six here right away. And then my youngest turns four late fall. So, or early fall. So it's, but busyness, we were at soccer last night. It was unreal. Um, my, my book that I'm reading right now, I assume you've read is the screw tape letters. Oh yeah. And it, you know, I, I'm going to steal how you did it. It's a Christian, uh, apologetic novel by C.S. Lewis. If you know who C.S. Lewis is, uh, that's, um, oh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, that, that type of thing. Uh, and it's dedicated to this guy that I read as a kid, J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay, mm-hmm. so that sets the stage. It is written in a satirical, uh, epistolary style. While it is fictional in format, the plot and characters are used uh, to address Christian theological issues, primarily those to do with temptation and resistance to it. First published in 1942, the story takes place 
Uh, it takes the form of a series of letters from senior demon screw tape to his nephew, Wormwood, a junior tempter. Uh, the Unkies mentorship pertains to the nephew's responsibility in securing the damnation of a British man known only as the patient. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. It is phenomenal. Like, yes. uh, not for the faint of heart, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, Leighton. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think it could hit me at a better time. Yeah. Like I'm, 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 uh, it's been a very easy read mm-hmm. for me. There is a, that is a wonderful book. And for those who like listening to audiobooks, there's a wonderful edition, a version of that that is uh, written by, uh, um, by uh, a gentleman who is um, a very famous uh, British um, uh, a comedian uh, who was part of uh, Faulty Towers, John Cleese. And the, what John Cleese's version is actually wonderful because he captures all of the humor. Uh, it, it is a serious book, but he captures all the humor in it. But that is a great uh, selection, Sean. I thank you so much for that, and also for being with us today on Gray Matter. It's been just a real pleasure. Well, I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored you would uh, you'd invite me on uh, uh, late night. I do mean that, and I hope to see you on June 10th. I hope to see you know a, a lot of people on June 10th. But if you make it up, you make sure you well. We'll make sure you come say hello. I will and everything be there. Else. I I wander the room, so I'm pretty accessible. I will be there, and I look forward to shaking your hand, sir. Thank you very much for being our special guest today. Yeah, thank you again for having me on. All right.